let's just imagine the scene. It's the Last Supper. The Last Supper, but the disciples don't really think of it as the Last Supper. It's just another meal with Jesus, a Passover meal. And Jesus has just surprised the disciples with this confusing and unexpected ritual. He washes their feet. And he gives them a new commandment. Love one another. And then he starts to say goodbye. And the disciples don't understand. All of a sudden, he's talking about leaving. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. Wait, don't go. You can't go. Now? Where are you going? What do you mean we can't go with you? What do you mean we know the way? How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? Jesus says, I am the way. I can just imagine the panic and the grief settling into the disciples' hearts. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And a better translation from the Greek for the word believe here is trust. Trust me, he says. But they can't. They're panicking. Their beloved teacher and friend is slipping away. And before he goes, Philip wants to at least see God first. He says, Jesus, if you have to leave, the least you can do is show us what God looks like. We want to know God before you leave. And Jesus is like... Seriously? I've been with you all this time, and you still don't get it? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The invisible God has become visible in the life and person of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way. The way to God. The way to abundant life. But they don't get it. And I imagine they've been on fire, living with Jesus, traveling with him, witnessing his amazing work in the world. And they must have had this deep longing for God, a a longing that would become more deep as they lived with him. And there God is right in front of them, eating with them, sleeping with them, washing their feet. And they miss it. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw of a little fish swimming in the ocean, and he swims up to another fish and he says, Hey, have you seen the ocean? I can't seem to find it. It's like that. We're funny creatures, aren't we? We can't see the forest for the trees. We see through a glass darkly. We're like fish looking for the ocean while we are swimming in it. I love to walk, I love to walk along the beach looking for seashells. And whenever I see a big shell, I'm still in the habit of doing something I did when I was little. And I'm sure you do it too. I hold it up to my ear and I listen for the sound of the ocean inside it. It's as if the shell carries the sound of where it came from, deep within it. It carries the sound of home inside it. And my favorite shell of late, and one that came strongly to mind when I was reading this morning's gospel, is the chambered nautilus. Have you guys ever seen one or seen a picture of one? I brought some visual aids here. Okay, so here he is, or she is. They're crazy looking. Chambered Nautilus. They swim about 1,000 feet below, often go much deeper in the South Pacific. 
And the Nautilus comes from the Greek word for sailor. So it's like they're on these little ships traveling deep in the ocean. And if you find one along the seashore, you'll just see, of course, this shell right here with the creature. He has moved on. But the really cool thing is if you do a cross-section of these shells, you'll see this. I'll, I'll lay these out later. You can look up close. But it's this spiral of ever-widening chambers. And uh, a large one can have up to 30. And the Nautilus grows. And as it grows, it, it grows a new chamber for itself. And it crawls into the new chamber. And then it actually seals off the old chamber. But get this. It uses its outgrown chambers for regulating depth and buoyancy. How cool is that? So if it wants to sink deeper into the ocean, it fills up some of its chambers. And if, it's, if it wants to rise in the ocean, it empties some of the water. So cool. And some link the spiral of the chambered nautilus to sacred geometry. And it has the same spiral as the pine cone and the cauliflower the placement of leaves on most plants. Its spiral is echoed in our DNA and in the measurement of distant galaxies. But I digress. I promise this has something to do with Jesus. Just bear with me. Today's gospel passage is one of the most common ones used in funerals because Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. And he talks about going to prepare a place for us. So people find this passage very comforting at funerals, understandably. But this passage isn't really about where we go when we die. My father's house isn't really referring to heaven. The clue is in the phrase, my father's house, which Jesus uses only one other time, and it's earlier in this Gospel of John, and it occurs when Jesus is referring to the temple. Jesus cleanses the temple, and he says, Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And no one realizes he's talking about his own body. As one scholar says, For the Jews, the temple was the place where heaven and earth meet, where God was present in the world with the people. And Jesus is replacing the temple with his own body. He goes first, and then we become the new temple. My Father's house has many dwelling places. The dwelling places become us, individually, and as the body of Christ. Do you know how crazy that is? I mean, we're so used to hearing this idea of God dwells in you, God is in you. But it's so much more specific and radical than that idea. The creator of the universe, the presence that dwelled in the tabernacle and traveled with the Israelites through the desert, the presence that then dwelled in the temple at Jerusalem, has now come to reside, to dwell in us, when I really allow myself to take that in, I get pretty fired up. It's one of those moments when I'm like, if that's true, then what are the implications for my life? If that's really true, that we are the dwelling places of the Holy God, of the Spirit of Jesus who said goodbye to his beloved followers and said, I will go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. That's powerful. That gets my attention. And John, the author of this gospel, uses the word abide and dwell and in many, many times 
He really wants us to get this notion of divine indwelling, of abiding, of being in God and God being in us. It's hinted at in the very beginning of the Gospel of John when the disciples first meet Jesus and they're so taken with him. And they ask this captivating stranger, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see where I'm going to dwell one day. Today, we are baptizing Eliza, a very special little dwelling place, and welcoming her into this house with the echo of home within it. This ship, full of dwelling places of the living God. It's a very special day for me. Eliza's mom, Jenny, and I met 25 years ago, 25 years ago in college. We were in the same singing group and plays, and then we went to the same graduate school at different times, and I had the honor of marrying Jenny and Ryder four years ago. Today also happens to be Jenny's birthday, and it is Mother's Day, and it is the day of Eliza's baptism. (laughs) Eliza knows the way. She knows it already. She isn't like the fish looking for the ocean. She's still in the flow of that ocean. She knows the way. But one day she'll forget. And her baptism can be a marker for her. And we can help her remember. I, as her godmother, commit to helping her remember that the spirit of the living God actually dwells in her and that she can trust that. She is a dwelling place for the living God, and she lives and belongs in the larger dwelling place of the body of Christ, a body of love and hope. She is being baptized into the church as mother, nurturing her into more maturity and more freedom as she grows and expands, liberating her from the chambers that she's outgrowing, and using the former chambers for buoyancy and depth. How can we know the way Thomas wanted to know? Jesus replied, I am the way. Love is the way. The love between all the dwelling places. The love we experience when we love one another. And when we open ourselves to the love that dwells within us. And so, in honor of this day, I'll end with the last part of the poem, The Chambered Nautilus by Oliver Wendell Holmes, which he wrote upon finding a nautilus shell on the seashore. Thanks for the heavenly message brought by thee, child of the wandering sea, cast from her lap forlorn. From thy dead lips a clearer note is born than ever triton blue from wreathed horn. While on mine ear it rings through the deep caves of thought, I hear a voice that sings. Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul, as the swift seasons roll. Leave thy low vaulted past. Let each new temple, nobler than the last, shut thee from heaven with a dome more vast. Till thou at length art free, leaving thine outgrown shell by life's unresting sea.